as many of you are probably aware, I, I like to preach in series. I like to do a series of messages that have some connective tissue between them. Uh, and then periodically in between those series, I like to just sort of revisit some of the core aspects of who we are as God's people and who we are as a church. And so today we're in between a couple of uh, series, and we probably will be next week as well. But uh, I, I came across this story again this week in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Talked about it with the kids. It's the story of Zacchaeus. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. It contains some, some detail that at first doesn't seem necessarily relevant. And what I'd like to do is just spend some time with you in this passage and unpack it a little bit and see what it means for us. What is God saying to us? What is he calling out of us through this little portion of his word, this almost uh, uh, funny little story from his word? So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, I'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 10. The, the he in verse 1 is Jesus. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows this is his last trip to Jerusalem, so to speak. And so he's, he's walking with great intentionality uh, toward his destiny, okay? And so this little story occurs as he is sort of traveling to his ultimate sacrifice. And so he knows that uh, he's tried to hint to his followers what's, what's up and where he's going. They haven't really clued in. And then he has this rather uh, strange encounter uh, with this short guy. So the he in verse 1 refers to Jesus, and we'll start there. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. So, let me see if I got this right. An unlikely man with an unlikely interest climbs into an unlikely place and receives an unlikely invitation that everybody else didn't like. Is that about right? Okay. And so there are two uses in this little passage of the word seek, to seek, right? The first one, if I'm not mistaken, is that in verse 3? Yes, Zacchaeus was seeking to see. What was Zacchaeus seeking? To see this Jesus. Jesus um, was a, a rather remarkable figure in his time. He would come into a town and often uh, heal someone very publicly and then just carry on his way. And he kind of left towns going, wait, 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 there's a lot more work to be done here. Can you stick around for a little while? And so by this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been at this in this region of, of Palestine, if you will, um, for a couple of years or more, almost three years actually. He's been kind of moving through these towns. People are hearing about him. And so when word gets to Jericho that Jesus is coming, um, there's a little bit of a buzz. And people are all wondering, you know, what's he going to do this time? What is he going to, is he going to cause the lame to walk or the blind to see or the deaf to hear? What's he going to do? And his one big thing that he does while in Jericho is completely out of the blue. And it's completely uncharacteristic of him. He's typically the one who does something crazy like reach out and touch a leper, which was kind of a no-no, right? Um, he's usually the one who finds that one person in the crowd who is uh, the sickest or the poorest or in some other way the least likely character. And strangely, he does the same thing here in that he picks a person that is completely unexpected, out of the blue, the last person. You know, if you were sort of typing, you know, making a type, of the person that Jesus connected with in each town that he visited, Zacchaeus would be at the far end of the list, right? He would be the last person that would be typical for Jesus to seek out when he enters a new village or new town. And yet, it's unmistakable 
Jesus' intentionality in seeking this guy out. And we'll have some fun with that in a minute. Um, but I, I guess I would just sort of set before you this idea that this passage is leading us to this simple call that we are to be those who with God seek out the lost, that we are to seek out those who are unlikely or uh, otherwise left out. So in that spirit, let's take a look at the first aspect of this in this passage, which is that we should never rule out anybody as being out of God's reach. Never rule anybody out of being in God's reach. Um, So what do we know about Zacchaeus at this point? He's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. Um, Just a quick personality trait do you think this guy would need to have in order to rise to that level at that position a little bit of ego with mixed with what say that again greed perhaps all right um mixed with a bit of heartlessness or maybe a lot so At this period in history, the region uh, that we would have called Israel prior to this, or still could, I guess, um, Palestine was occupied by the Roman government and military. And Zacchaeus is is of Jewish ancestry, um, but he works for the man. He works for the foreign government And so what he does is he makes sure that all of his fellow citizens pay their tribute to Rome. Uh, Most people in Palestine were in destitute poverty. Um, We have very few places in this world where we could take you today to see the level of poverty at which people lived at this time. Um, So... This guy, Zacchaeus, is taking money from some of the poorest people in human history and giving it to the richest, most powerful government in the world at the time. Um, There is a certain degree of heartlessness that must be uh, present in someone, A, to do this at all, and B, to rise to the top of the food chain as a tax collector. So this guy is brutal, we can fairly say, in some way or another. Um, So let's just say that in this passage and in my own experience, I have learned that Jesus specializes in the prideful and self-reliant person. He specialized. So when when we read a passage like this, we should try to put ourselves into the place of each character in the passage. And so if we are Zacchaeus, then we are 
prideful and self-reliant, perhaps a bit heartless at times. Um, And this is a good reminder that we're not to rely on our wealth for our standing with God, and we're not to rely on our prominence. Um, Why is it important that Luke points out that not only is Zacchaeus the chief tax collector, but he is also rich? Anyone? 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 Bueller? Yes, he was collecting extra, maybe skimming a little off the top and the bottom, right? And uh, if you go back one chapter, and this is, this is, you know, we talked about this in the fall when you're studying a passage, um, look at the context. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus has an encounter with a rich young man. And he tells the guy, uh, he, the guy, you know, the guy says, what do I need in order to be saved? And Jesus says, oh, you know, follow the rules. And he's like, I've been doing that. I got that down. And he goes, oh, yeah, one other thing. Give everything you have to the poor. Just walk away from it all. And the guy's like, oh. You know, and his followers asked Jesus, like, why did you tell him that? That was bizarre. And Jesus says, well, I tell you the truth. It is more difficult for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. All right? And his followers are going, whoa. That means God hates rich people. All right? That's an easy takeaway from that. This is literally the previous encounter. I think he healed somebody in between those two. But this is the previous chapter. Jesus says it's impossible for a wealthy person to enter heaven. Um, So his followers are walking around now thinking, okay, all right, I'm trying to get this. Let me get straight. God hates rich people. So Jesus walks into town, and instead of singling out the, the, the sick woman who's been sick for years, or the lame, or the mute, or the deaf, or the blind, he picks the richest guy in town. He says, hey, you, come here. Because at the end of that little story where he tells his followers that it's impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven, he reminds them all things are possible with God. And so here, Jesus is proving a point that God's love is for all kinds of people. No one is outside of God's reach. He specializes in reaching the prideful and self-reliant, and he specializes in reaching the, the despised and rejected. Zacchaeus did not have any friends. Um, he had to have been a lonely man. They say it's lonely at the top. I wouldn't know, but I've heard that said. Either that or Jesus was a foodie. You think about that possibility? He picked the best place in town to get a meal, right? He's like, hey, you know, 
I am literally walking to my fate, my death. Let's have a good meal. What do you say? Hey, Zacchaeus, what do you got for dinner? How about some lamb? Just kidding. Um, No one respected Zacchaeus' position, and no one respected his stature, if I can, that that pun was intended. Um, This guy embodies the despised and rejected of his context. He was literally in the same position as a leper for very, very different reasons. Um, You could argue the leper did not put his or herself in that position of being despised and rejected. Zacchaeus did. He was a self-made loner. Um, And Jesus walks in and calls him by name. Think about that for yourself. That the creator of the universe pauses in the crowd and calls you by name. He is that kind of God. And no one is outside of his reach. Now, let's play around for a minute with a couple of responses that we see in this passage. Let's take a look at these signature responses, right? There's the response from the one who was seeking to see Jesus and finds out he's being sought by Jesus. Uh, There's Zacchaeus' response. You probably saw it. Um, So the response from the one or those whom God has sought out Um, excitement and joy. Zacchaeus jumps down out of the tree and joyfully receives. When when you see that word in that passage, it means that, and and Luke is kind of like skimming through the timeline in this little verse. When it says he receives Jesus, it means he actually brought him into his house and sat him probably on the floor uh, around where they would eat. And, and so Jesus has been brought in to his house. Now, this is really hard for us to, to approximate as uh, 21st century Westerners. It's no big deal if somebody comes over and enters your home and sits down at your table. It's not a big deal. In ancient Judaism, this was a big deal. It was a big deal to bring somebody into your family table. Uh, food was equivalent with property. This was a um, this was as if they were saying, "What is mine is yours." And so, this gesture of bringing Jesus into his home and Zacchaeus was excited about it. He wasn't nervous about it. He wasn't worrying if he'd finished doing the dishes before he left. Um, He was excited to have Jesus in his home. And so you get this excitement and joy out of Zacchaeus. And what's that in verse 6? And then in verse 9, 
you see this evidence of genuine life change. Zacchaeus's heart is different now. It is changed. It is um, brought into a new reality, the reality of the kingdom of God. And so Zacchaeus is no longer looking at his place in society as one from which he can accumulate more. He's completely reversed that view, and he's looking at how to distribute what he's accumulated, whether rightfully or wrongfully. Um, so what is up with Zacchaeus' response? If, if you are a Bible hound, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, Lois, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you another story offline about what I got called the other day, but it's not appropriate for here. <laughs> it was in public. It wasn't by my wife. It was just, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, okay. Um, Leviticus 6.4 says if you steal something, you have to give back 120% of what you stole. That was the standard you're, for making restitution. You're going to give back the property plus interest. Okay? Um, Exodus 22, verse 1, if you steal someone's oxen, which would have been their livelihood, you had to give them back five oxes. If you just stole their donkey, you had to give them back four donkeys. This is a much smaller price, all right? Um, and then it goes on, and it goes on down. So five times the value is the greatest recompense that you would have to make as a Jew, but only if you stole someone's ability to produce, right? What is Zacchaeus guilty of? He puts himself in this second category of sort of theft of the burrow, which is work-related, livelihood-related, but not productivity. It's hard to explain. All that I'm getting lost in my own thought. Forgive me. So Zacchaeus is, is literally casting himself into sort of the worst possible um, group of people. There were people who just stole things like bread to eat, no problem. You pay back 120% of what you stole. When you mess with someone else's livelihood, you are up into this category of four or five times what you've done. Okay. I think you get the point. Um, Zacchaeus says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He knows the type of fraud that he's been committing, and he correctly places himself in the Jewish judicial rankings at kind of the lowest of the low. The equivalent in Texas a hundred and some odd years ago uh, would have been horse thief, right? You steal someone's horse, you hang for that, right? Hard for us to understand today, 
but you were literally putting that person at peril of losing their life. It was paramount to murder. Um, so Zacchaeus knows where he falls in the rank of lowlifes, and he correctly places himself more or less at the, at the bottom of the pool. Um, but what is interesting to me is what Jesus said in chapter 18 to the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler asked, what must I do in order to be saved? He said, give everything to the poor. And here, Zacchaeus, already having been sought and reached and saved by Christ, only gives half. Um, Of course, he probably gave a lot more than that when people started coming to collect their dues. But it's interesting, nonetheless. Zacchaeus's, the, the, the issue is the heart. The heart of that rich young ruler in chapter 18 was not broken and softened and opened by Christ. The heart of Zacchaeus was broken and softened and opened by his Savior. He was a changed man. So, Let's take a look for a second at the regulars. We, we can assume that the uh, they, in verse 7, is the general population of Jericho. I, I think is fairly said. I don't know of any notable commentators who disagree with that. The people who grumbled were the everyday people of Jericho. What were they expecting? They were expecting something really exciting, all right, that the blind would see, as we've said before, or the lame would walk, or who knows. Ironically, they did witness a miracle. They they witnessed the, the complete change of a hardened, cruel human heart. They saw it happen right before their eyes, maybe not to the fullness because When Zacchaeus says this to Jesus, they're inside his home. But they saw a miracle. But they didn't like it. Because everybody hated this guy. Nobody could stand him. And so all they've got is negativity and judgment. Um, What does this say about us? That we are ready to judge God of all people when a situation doesn't play out the way we thought it should. That we are the ones who point our fingers at God and say, how can this be? That's not the way it's supposed to happen. Um, All of us do this. This is common to humanity, that we, the regular people, grumble about God. And it's common to us, as those who have been sought out and found by Christ, that others will grumble about us. You know, and I think about those of you who are in high school and, um, or college, which can be a little more hostile uh, to your faith. Right? But 
someone finds out you go to church, maybe there's a comment, a snide remark, uh, a dismissal, and uh, no invitation to the party. And you pay a price. You see this in real time that others judge you for what Christ has done on your behalf. All right. So where is Jesus going with this whole thing? I think this passage is a very uh, fun but direct call on our lives to be those who join with God in the seeking. Um, I mentioned earlier there were two seekers in this passage. The first was Zacchaeus in verse 3, seeking to see Jesus. And the second is Jesus in verse 10. Of these two seekers, who seeks the most? Who over who out seeks the other? You think Zacchaeus did? Because he climbed the tree? Okay. He climbed the tree and he got to see, which according to this was all he wanted. Right? Just to see what was going on, see who this was, see. But the other seeker, the other seeker was Jesus, and he didn't just seek to see Zacchaeus. He saw through Zacchaeus and, and saw something beyond just the here and now. And the seeking that Christ did was the greater of the two, I would argue. That he, he sought Zacchaeus to the point where, where that change was made. And we are to join the one who seeks in order to grow the family of God to extend God's grace to the unlikely, to spread our faith. Jesus calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Did you see that in there? Which, on one level, should have been obvious. Right? He was Jewish. Right? Problem? He was rejected by the family of Abraham. They wanted nothing to do with this guy. And Jesus has to point out that our standing as the children of God and the family of God is established by Christ, not by who we are or what we have done or what we have not done, but by what God has done for us through Christ. And so Jesus brings Zacchaeus sort of back into the family of God, and we're to call we are called to be those who extend grace to the unlikely and spread our faith in this world. We're to grow the family of God and actually look for to seek out the unlikely. And so well, yeah. How well do we do this? Not very well, I don't think, natively. Um, Who in your life is in need of grace today? Who is it? Um, I can't answer that question for you. But I can tell you that God wants us to seek 
those people out, to be those who are joining with him in the seeking. And the other question goes like this. You know, in what ways are you Zacchaeus? In what ways are you this unlikely candidate for God's grace? Because that really ultimately is your connection point with the people in your life who are in need of grace. Um, when we understand ourselves as prideful or even vengeful, selfish people, we understand what God has done for us in Christ even better. That he sought us out in spite of who we were. And he found us and he redeemed us and he saved us. And Jesus is saying with great clarity, I know exactly why I am going to Jerusalem. I know exactly why I'm going. And read chapter 18. It's right there. He lays it all out. And he also knows exactly who he wants to take with him. And we are called to open our eyes in our own lives, in our own worlds, and look around and say, first of all, thank you for looking at me, for seeing me, for seeking me. And then, how, who, who do you want me to join you in seeking? They are all around us, um, and we are they. That's, I think, the key in this whole thing. That whatever it was that held us back from God that Christ broke down in our own lives, that's how we relate to others in terms of God's grace. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess that we are uh, Zacchaeus, and we are the crowd that grumbled. And yet, you are the one who seeks, who came to seek and to save. And so we marvel at that grace and salvation that was poured out for us on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that we would live our lives in such a way that we express that grace every day. And that your kingdom is grown. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.